0: Well, and guys like, you know, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and, you know, a whole bunch of them in the United States, too. I mean, they got dumped on pretty bad. Yeah. They were, were, uh, you know, they didn't have Twitter back then, but... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Chuck Yates' Needs a Job, the podcast. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. We're at the Audio Realm Studios in Richmond, Texas, and our guest today is Art Berman. We'll, uh, we'll get into Art's background, what he's done, and who knows where we're going to take it. Art and I were trading emails all morning, so this, uh, I've, I've never in an email screen talked about Tolstoy, Baroque music, music. Uh, paul simon so we'll uh we'll see where this goes but uh anyway i'll say hi hey art how you doing
0: i'm fine chuck good to talk to you
1: good to talk to you as well the um so where do you want to start this thing because uh this was a a bit of an eventful week on twitter with uh with with you and eft we want to start there you want to start with your career yeah so i've tried to go back and follow it what what happened
0: <laughs> yeah, really good question. So what happened was, is that um, somebody <clears throat> um, responded to something I tweeted or commented on it. I, I don't even remember what it was. It was reasonably uneventful. And uh, down there at the bottom, there was a hashtag EFT. And I didn't know what EFT was, and I thought, you know, maybe it's a a stock ticker or, you know, who knows what the hell it is. But uh, for some reason or other, whatever this guy said got me curious enough that I tried to figure out what it was. And so I I Googled, well, first I went to hashtag EFT because I'm not, you know, total dinosaur, as a lot of EFT people now apparently think that I am uh, based on their... A rather uh, um, strenuous uh, <laughs> response to everything that that went down but you know I looked at it and I couldn't figure out what it was I mean I I, I saw it was kind of generally energy stuff which was a surprise that somebody you know on my feed might be interested in energy but I couldn't figure out what it was and you know frankly I didn't take a lot of time with it and so I googled it and I came up with some you know, sort of bizarre uh, things, as as you often do, but nothing immediately led me to precisely what I was dealing with. So I just tweeted back, I said, you know, by the way, you know, WTF, hashtag EFT, what is it? I don't know what this is. And, uh, you know, I kind of wish that people would use, you know, fewer uh, arcane acronyms when they're, you know, trying to make themselves or their interests known and of course I got criticized for you know using WTF which is of course an acronym and I used it on purpose because I didn't want to actually write out what it means and I think it's something that just about everybody understands well so I got somebody you know this guy came back and he was fairly indignant that I didn't know what EFT was and said, wow, you know, a simple Google search and you could have figured it out. And I was like, well, you know, I, I did more than that. No, I couldn't figure it out. And so then the, you know, the onslaught began, and and people were, they were pretty nasty. Um, and 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 I, you know, my behavior wasn't ideal. I mean, they kind of pissed me off by some of the things that they said, and you know, I challenged them back. And then it just proceeded to get incredibly ugly. And, uh, I found out that, um, a lot of these people, um, for, you know, some reason, uh, already hated my guts. I mean, it really, it couldn't have possibly had that much to do with my ignorance of EFT, although I'm sure that that triggered some of it, but, uh, you know, they, they were all over me, as I said, for, being a dinosaur for being an old man. You know, I'm 70 years old, and I'm not. I'm not ashamed of that. But I have to say, it's the first time in my 70 years that anybody's ever uh, discriminated against me because I'm older. Um, you know, usually in you know in business, um, you know, older people are, we have more experience. That doesn't mean we're right, but um, and you know, and, and people just came out with. People were spending all kinds of time making videos, uh, ridiculing me, and uh, you know, um, I, it just—it just really, uh,
1: yeah, it was
0: sort of unprecedented. And not, you know, I've been on Twitter a long time. I mean, I'm—it's not as if I'm Lily White when it comes to Twitter, but this really did rise above anything I've ever experienced, and and you know, and it, it had gotten way out of hand. I certainly didn't contend for, you know, my comments to uh, create so much discomfort. So I just put out a public apology. You, you know, did. Even... Yeah,
1: no, credit to you. You you, you stepped up and, and said that. You know, it's, what's my kind of Twitter experience is I was on Twitter almost at the start. So kind of the prominent guys that were on Twitter way back in the day, like Chad Johnson, the wide receiver, and Shaquille O'Neal that really kind of popularized Twitter. You know, I used to follow those guys. And and what happened to me about, oh, call it a year and a half before I got fired from Kane last spring is, you know, things had always kind of been weird with Kane, but I didn't want to give him the rope to actually hang me with. And so I just decided to get off Twitter. So then when I got fired and the news broke, I watched Twitter and I and and yeah, I got I got uh, I got attacked a, a lot as well. I think um, you know I think the funniest one that attacked me was that Chuck Yates, the person voted the most likely person in the energy business to wake up in a bathtub full of ice without a kidney <laughs> you know that was that was what's so wow. yeah yeah and and i i do have a point for telling this, this story so i jumped back on twitter and i started mixing it up with folks but 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 i was pretty self-deprecating in terms of uh in terms of mixing it up with folks because you know there's not a lot you can say when you get fired and you know you're sort of the uh, the, the the point of ridicule for the for the moment what i did find out though is you know kind of mixing it up with folks but more kind of in just a self-deprecating way and making fun of myself and the like i actually found out that the community is better uh, or more forgiving or more loving than maybe it's perceived to kind of a lot of people, you know, and, uh, and I don't know exactly why that is. I think there's an element of, you know, you and I are on there in our own names, right? So we're, we're saying stuff we say, and, uh, and a lot of folks are on there anonymously. And I've, I've come to the conclusion anonymous is probably good, because more information gets put into the sphere because folks can say things anonymously, but it does lead to, you know, what I like to call an asymmetric fight, right? I mean, you have no idea who this person is. You don't know their background. You don't know why they're saying certain things about you. And it makes it, it makes it sometimes, you know, difficult to, uh, to navigate. I think what, what, what's happened with me though is as i've spent kind of more time on it and and you know taking my shots but at the same time you know being a little self-deprecating and stuff is i actually get uh messages now from people hey did i take it too far and and all that so i i think you experienced uh the the bad of it but you also i think experienced some good of it because i saw other people saying hey art that was really cool you uh you apologize, you know, we're all good here, you know, and I think, I think like Kenny Lay was like, Hey, come on, roll call tonight and stuff. So it's a, it's an interesting community, interesting uh, world to try to navigate.
0: Well, you know, and along those lines, um, yeah, that I, I was, I was really okay with, with most of it up to that point. And then after I apologized, um the you know the the venom went on for another two days. And it got worse. And it's like, geez guys, I mean, uh, you know, they say, Oh, well, you know, we you know, we we don't take I any mean, we don't take your apology seriously. I mean the only thing you're trying to do is get clicks and it's like, seriously, guys? I mean, you really think that's <laughs> I mean, I don't have any ads on my <laughs> Right. On Twitter. I don't have any ads on my website. I mean, there's nothing in it for me. You know, to get more people. You know, engaged. I mean, it's just. Uh, and 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 by the time it was done, I mean, I've I blocked more people in those couple of days than I probably have in my whole Twitter career. And I don't block people lightly. But right. These people were just really. Um, they were. They were worse than nasty. I mean, you know, when a guy spends 45 minutes or an hour putting together a little video to, you know, to ridicule someone else, um, boy, you know, there's there's some something really deep-seated going on there, and uh, and uh, life's a little too short to deal with that what? level of um, you know of, of resentment and and frankly hatred. Um, it,
1: yeah, and, you know, the the other hard thing about it, too, uh, as well, is you just, you can't get context from 280 characters, you know? I mean, it's really, it's really hard, because the, uh, and I'll just give, I'll give an example, and I don't think I'm violating any great um, confidence here, but one of the folks, or one of the leaders on Energy Finance Twitter is Energy Cynic, and he or she, as I like to say, came on the podcast um, and we distorted his or her voice. uh, And we had a very thoughtful conversation about energy and the like. Well, he or she is the one that's probably been my biggest critic um, on Twitter. You know, that was the kidney remark. He, uh, Mm -hmm. he He got a picture of someone that had a shirt, made out of condom wrappers taped together and and said hey i think we found nimble fatty out in a, you know out in a uh, convenience store somewhere mm-hmm. and in hindsight in hindsight in terms of getting to know he or she they, they were actually just doing it for funny there there wasn't any malice uh to to what they were uh to what they were saying and we actually talk on the phone now on a fairly regular basis mm. i still have no idea who she he or she is i don't right. recognize their voice um and all but anyway so it yeah it's 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 a it's it's an interesting community because i think and i'm going to say this i hope that eft takes this with respect and from a place of love where it's coming from but i mean to some degree I think when you're an anonymous account, by definition, you're not in a position where you can say what you want to. And so, if we were gonna put it into put it into some lingo, we we might say, "Hey, you're not the man." And I'm not using "man" to be sexist, but more just the generalized term we all know. You're not the man. And so, I do think there's an element of of wanting to be you know, wanting to be respected, but you have to post anonymously, and so it 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 le it can lead to fights sometimes, just in terms of showing off. But at the same time, uh, I don't know that there's a lot of malice there, but there's definitely some. I mean, I've gotten I've gotten hammered pretty hard by people that you know said some things that just it didn't matter what the context context was. There was no way they, uh, the way they said it, that it uh, that it could be taken in any sort of way, shape, or form. That was nice. So anyway, well, interesting week. the The nice thing about Twitter is it always seems to go away in forty eight hours. <laughs> it it, it well, ends quickly. Especially
0: quick. if, if you block and get blocked by uh, Kenny Lay blocked me by the way. Since we're mentioning him. Oh really? Um, yeah. Um, and 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 I, I hear what you're saying, Chuck, and, and I'm not going to disagree. But and I'm not special. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't mean that. But um, you know, I've been I've been posting on websites and magazines for a long time, doing web you know podcasts, and so there may not be much context to an individual tweet, but. People know, or people in our business, let's put it that way, in the energy and finance business, uh, you know, I'm I'm known. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I think a lot of the resentment that came through, uh, and some of it was malicious. I I think objectively it was. Um, it it didn't have anything to do with what I'd actually tweeted. It had to do with people's you know, recollection or memory or perception of things that I'd published, posted, said in public meetings in the past. And so, you know, what does that mean? Well, I think what it means is um, we all have have our beliefs, things that we just believe to be true. And I have, for reasons of I don't know critical thought more than anything else. My background and training, uh, you know, I, I go out and look at a play, for instance, or a company, and um, you know, I'll go through my standard analysis. And you know, if it looks like your baby's ugly, I'm going to say your baby's ugly. And I've, you know, I've got a long history of of uh, really questioning the economics of most of the shale plays. And that didn't win me any friends. Uh, you know, shale plays were a thing that, I mean, it was almost unpatriotic for a while to, to say anything that wasn't purely positive, you know, initially about the Barnett or the Haynesville or the Marcellus and eventually you know, things like Eagle Ford and Permian and Bakken. And um, I, I just went through, I did ground up analyses of, you know, per well reserves and, you know, careful economics. And, you know, my conclusion was always the same about these plays that sure, there were, there were parts of the plays where, you know, certain companies and there were certain areas where people were making some money, um, not, you know, not making a fortune the way that, you know, the way that they claimed, but, you know, on average, these plays were really quite marginal, um, and and I said that, and I you know I didn't mean I wasn't I wasn't criticizing people in the companies or I mean I, I did criticize some of the, the the executives for misleading the public and they, they continue to do that but uh, you know I, I mean I'm just I'm a geologist I want all plays to be successful but why do people bother to read what I you know, put on my website or in Forbes or in World Oil or whatever, because they want to know the truth. You know, they don't—they don't work. Maybe they're not in that play. They want to know what's what's the real story on this play.
1: you, you and, know what? You know what I saw happening, kind of living through the shale revolution, and something only you know some time and some perspective brought to me. Because look, I'm raising my hand saying I was guilty as anyone that I'm about to, uh, to, to talk about here. But you know, it was early on in the uh, shale revolution that the winners were actually not the, what I'll call the hardcore data-driven scientists. Because if you went into the Bakken and you declined out every well, and you went through and you look at EURs and the like, you wouldn't have drilled the wells that got drilled. And it was really almost the, if we're going to be nice about it, the optimist that said, yeah, if we go from 800 pounds of sand to 2,500 or 3,000, we're going to see a doubling of the EUR. There was way more romance, art, you know, kind of luck to that then there was really science to base it on. We didn't have a lot of analogy early on in the uh, in the shale revolution. I mean, you know, they spent twenty years fracking around on the Barnett to uh, to try to figure it out, and and ultimately, yeah, they got some stuff to work there. But it was really, it, you know, if the if the normal distribution and the the center is the quote unquote true picture. It was the people on the right end of the bell curve that were sitting there buying something, drilling the horizontal, fracking it. And lo and behold, some of it worked. But you know the problem we ran into, and I think the whole industry ran into, is it wasn't linear. Yeah, a step change function up in terms of more sand, you know, slick water, more water in the fracks. Did some great things, but it also leveled off. You know, it was not a it was not a continually linear relationship. Okay, let's go to six thousand pounds of sand, you know, et cetera. And so what happened is I think the 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 early critics were data driven and being thoughtful. The folks that had the early success to some degree we're really really lucky and then became a victim of that success when we decided that every bit every formation out there on the planet could get hit with more sand and be more successful
0: yeah i i guess uh, you know the the point i was trying to make in the beginning when for sure none of us knew that much was hey you know we got we got 25 years of history with uh like gas sands and uh, coal bed methane and Let, let's take a look at those plays and let's see after a couple of decades exactly how profitable they were and what 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 the data told us was um, yeah you could make a little bit of money if you were really careful and really smart but the idea that you were gonna you know make a bloody fortune uh, just you know I mean uh, there was uh, I mean that was way out on the you know the the p5 of, of the whole distribution so why exactly would uh shale gas or, or tight oil be a whole lot different and the answer you know now that we know more is it's not um and, and in my experience the people that made the most money were the people that got in uh when when things were hot and they sold out <laughs> them and you know, those guys and the the you know, the royalty owners and the people that sold their leases, it, those guys made a damn fortune and good for them. I mean, I, I think it's great. But my point is, is that um, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of people um, came to a negative opinion of me because I was telling what I believe to be the truth about the place that, you know, they're fine. Uh, and And let's face it. I mean, we got, you know, we got, Ten or fifteen years of oil and gas production that nobody at least nobody I know ever thought was there, and it's good for the country and it's good for the business and, and so i'm not I'm not taking a thing away from that. All I said was at best these plays are marginally commercial. doesn't mean that you know I mean there's some great wells for sure, but I mean, I'm a geologist, and uh, I've drilled offsets to really great wells and they sucked (laughs) right (laughs) i've drilled offsets to really crappy wells and they were barn burners and you know and i can make up a story that says oh yeah yeah we we understood that you know we knew that with ed no no way (laughs) i mean there's just there's just so much uncertainty
1: yeah more 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 drilling and i when we were on the podcast I was telling him the joke about the geologist die. The Oklahoma geologist dies, goes to heaven, and uh, Saint Peter says, "You've been such a good servant of the Lord. You're granted one wish." And it was like, "Somebody, please show me the Morrow map." I mean, you know, it's just and uh, yeah, no, I it, it's interesting because I mean, if you're younger than call it forty uh, in this business, you have no concept that you literally can go drill a dry hole where nothing comes out i mean people today in the shell revolution can drill an uneconomic well but you know we used to drill stuff and big old porosity boomers on the log you looked up and it was the greatest water well in south texas you know
0: or the permeability was just not there i mean it looked good on logs but it, or maybe uh, you know you drilled it with the wrong kind of mud and you know got scale and who, who knows i mean there's a million reasons but but that's my point that that the earth is um, the earth is is complex to say the least. And a few miles down, it you know you can multiply that complexity. And uh, the uh, you know I, I I called the shale industry out and I said you know this is not a manufacturing process. I mean maybe the process is, but the results are not. You know that they're, they're not all the same. I mean every well is different and and uh, and, and I, I you know, I'd go consult for. A lot of the leading companies in these plays, and I'd ask them. You know, I, I did some work for a company that was uh, you know, in, the, in the in the Woodford in Oklahoma, and I mean they were sharing everything with me and my engineer partner. And, you know, we we looked at this one well. I said, "Damn, you know this is a killer." And you know, and this well right here, you know, wasn't very good. Um, you know, did you know when you drilled this killer? it was going to be that way and they said oh hell no <laughs> I said, do you understand why it is now um no not really um you know we've got we've got some theories that we're working with but no and and i mean i think that's the honest truth and it's and it's not just because the shale plays are newer i mean i i i've dealt with i've drilled an awful lot of conventional wells that you know in plays that we got Decades of history in, and, and you still don't. You know, he's, I don't know why this well wasn't as good as it should have been. I can theorize about it, but honestly, I don't know. But I, I, I guess my point, though, Chuck, is, is that um, you know I've I've got a lot of history. I've been I've been you know, publicly stating my opinion and my views on these plays for you know for pretty nearly 20 years, and a lot of people don't like what what I've said they disagree they think I'm wrong and and I have been wrong uh, in you know in many cases I uh, you know a new play comes out like uh, you know the Haynesville or the Marcellus and the analogies that I have or the Barnett or the Fayetteville and real early on I do an analysis and I see you know I don't think these plays are going to be that great and of course the Marcellus turned out to be you know really one of the Maybe the most, you know, the, certainly the shale gas, it was the, you know, the, the, the most commercial of the plays. But okay, so I was, you know, I made an early call based on early information. It was wrong. And I subsequently wrote, you know, dozens of articles explaining why, you know, I with more information, I now thought it was really a good play. And the same with the Haynesville, and And I guess my point is, is that, I'm a scientist, and people want to know, well, what do you think? And I tell them what I think, and I get more information, and sometimes I change what I think. And people, they, they, treat, they treat that like, you know, you're somehow flip-flopping on them. And I say, guys, you know, I'm not a politician. You know, give me more information, and I sure hope I change my interpretation. If not, I am not an honest scientist. And, and so, again, I'm, I'm not trying to defend myself here. I'm just, I mean, we had one guy, you know, who uh, when, when you and I were talking on Twitter about doing an interview, you know, this, this guy said, well, you know, be sure to ask him about the time he said that no well in the Barnett would ever make to BCF. Well, I never said that. Um, he thinks I did, and that's fine. But uh, I would never have said that because there were wells in the Barnett. <laughs> As early as I was commenting on it, that had made two BCF. I'm not stupid. You know, I might be wrong. I might be, you know, sometimes a little bit outrageous, but I mean I'm not gonna not gonna make a statement that I know is clearly untrue. And so, you know, that was just wrong. Um, but that's what he remembers. And yeah. um, and in you know, a lot of times when people say that, I say, show me where I said that, you know, find. Wherever it was that you think I said that, whether it was in a slide presentation or you know, an article I posted or whatever. And you know this guy and I didn't go any farther than that, but you know one guy came back to me and he found a comment that I'd posted on somebody else's blog, you know, back in, I don't, know, 2007, where I just said, "You know, I, I, I just don't think this play is, is going to work out as well as people think it will." And he said, "See, you said that. Geez, mm-hmm. you know that was a, it was an offhanded comment. It wasn't something I posted. Uh, but you know, fair enough. I did say that. If you're out there in the public, evaluating plays and screening deals and drilling wells, you're gonna be wrong. Uh, you know, and anybody who doesn't think that's true, I guess, well, they've either lead, led a really charmed life." They're in different business than I am. <laughs> well, so I don't mind being criticized. Um, but I do mind when people come after me personally and say, well, you know, you're just an old man. You know, you're uh, you know, you, you've been wrong on everything, and you know, you're a jerk. And I mean, you know, I, I am a human and 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 I, I can I can certainly take some of that. I mean, I understand what you said before, but the deal with EFT, it just got now It just went way over the edge.
1: Yeah, the you know the see, I I actually kind of suffered from the reverse side of that. Instead of saying something won't work and then potentially it worked out, you know, I'd go invest dollars into a play and it wouldn't work out, and you know, kind of got the well, you were stupid for making that investment. And I think kind of the worst thing that happened to us as an industry is the Delaware Basin because the Delaware Basin took off, there were good wells drilled there, a lot of science and refinement of the science to figure out exactly the best spots, but for the most part that really shaped our consciousness as shale players, shale investors, and man, you go to the stack in Oklahoma. It was the craziest thing. I mean, you, you know, you did you did uh, downspacing or pad drilling in the Delaware, and if you put eight wells in the drilling unit and you could have gotten all the reserves out for six, okay, you messed up your economic sum. You spent more money than you should have. But at the end of the day, you still got all the reserves out. The stack was the craziest thing in that if you put one too many wells into that drilling unit, you didn't even get all the reserves out. You got half the reserves out. And so we had, I mean, we literally had drilling units where we drilled eight wells, and just to make up a number, we got 50. And then right next door, not a geologist or an engineer on the planet would say the rocks any different. We'd put four wells in, and then we wound up with 100 in terms of the oil and gas coming out. And it was the craziest thing. I mean, I, th- I think when we download and debrief, you know, three and four years from now, and you're starting to hear some rumblings of this, we're going to figure out that we were just trying to frack the wells uh, so much and rubbleize the rock that we just totally forgot about friction. You know, the oil and gas has to come back out. and So maybe friction inhibitors would have helped in some way, shape, or form. And maybe that's the reason that it ultimately, you know, you just put so much fluid down there that ultimately that's the reason you didn't get, as I like to say, all the milkshake back. But uh, yeah, no, I. in terms of discussing with investors, you know, you get the, oh my gosh, you lost a fortune in the stack. It was like the, uh, it was like going, but yeah, we, we thought it was going to act like the Delaware. We had this great track record with Panther and Silverhill drill drilling in the Delaware. And we studied a lot of data and science and used that as analogy. Well, analogies, the next state over problem probably aren't the best data sometimes to use.
0: Well, and I, I've done the same too, Chuck. I mean, I've been in this business for more than four decades. I've, you know, I've I've sold plays and uh, some of them worked and some of them were miserable failures. And uh, you know, there's there's hard feelings about what well, you said it was gonna be this and it didn't turn out the way you said and you know, all I can all I can do is uh, is, is is go back and say, Well, you know, I, I did the best I could based on what I knew and and I was wrong. And and there's just no you know there's just no way to you know to put a prettier face on it than that we're in a business of risk and and the whole idea behind the shale plays as you alluded to earlier was oh well this may be a way that we can get around our risk and and sure we we pretty much eliminated um, the possibility of drilling a, a, a surely dry hole because we're drilling the damn source rock for crying out loud, <laughs> right? You know, but but that doesn't mean that that we that we don't drill economic dry holes, and, and there are certainly at least as many or more of those than there are economic successes. And and what a shock! I mean, that's the way that's the way the business has always been. It's never been different. And well, you know we call we call these things sweet spots. We used to call them fields. I don't care what you call them, but that's the way a field is. I mean, you know, I don't know what the right percentage is. I don't know if it's seventy or eighty or ninety. But you know, a, a very a relatively small number of wells produce most of the reserves from any given field. And if you knew that before you drilled them, well, you'd only drill the better wells. But we didn't. And, and, you know, like your stack story, you know, sometimes you really get screwed and uh, not only don't you, you know, get, get the right spacing, but you, you screw things up and you, you don't even get what's in place there or what, you know, what, what should be uh, technically recoverable from what's and, in place.
1: And you know, what's interesting is you take science out of it for just a second and you take, um, you take, science out of it, you take luck out of it, you take you know, any number of things out of it except just kind of pure economics. And if you look at kind of economics and competitive advantages and the like, there's literally not a thing in our business that's not a commodity, right? I mean, you go hire a drilling rig and basically the rig companies are sharing information with all the different EMP companies, because they're trying to get you to use their rigs. And the crews are pretty much the same. I, I get that, you know, there are some efficiencies when you use the same crew and the same rig repeatedly in a certain field. Yes, there are economies there. I'm not, I am over generalizing here, but the rigs are all a commodity most of the science is a commodity. I mean, you get small windows where you as a geologist know something about a field that other people don't know, don't appreciate. But in terms of having that knowledge and being able to acquire something, those windows are pretty short because there are not a lot of secrets in this industry that are kept. And then you get into You get into completion technology and all the service companies the second you create a better recipe or selling that to their other clients. And so, and then you get, you put on top of that just your ultimate price. I mean, the dollar per barrel, the dollar per MCF you get. I mean, it's a commodity too. So it really is hard to make money in this business because anything, something's a Anytime something's a commodity, it's always going to be priced on the marginal barrel, the last barrel. And, you know, it really kind of comes down to whether it's conventional, shale, whatever the case may be. You have a view on rock, and basically, you have the most optimistic view of that rock because you bought it, right? I mean, by definition, you outbid everybody else on the planet, even if it's a 10 acre track. You outbid, you know, somebody to get it because it's not like there are any any kind of hidden assets here that that you can find. I mean, sure, it happens periodically, so it's just it's a lot of commodity. It's a lot of consensus type knowledge, and so really creating outsized outsized returns, it's just flat out hard to do.
0: Yeah, it, it, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I just. I just posted a, a, you know, a chart this morning where I'd gone through the, you know, the 10K SEC filings for, you know, some of the key operators that focus on the Permian. And, you know, you just look at their, 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 uh, their projected future net cash flows. And of course, you don't have any idea how they did that, but you know, I'll just take them at their word. And, um you know, of, of the four companies I looked at, uh, you know, the, the, the average is, uh, you know, about 12 or 13% return. That's before operating expenses. I mean, that's just, you know, that, that that's just, uh, you've already drilled the well. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so, so that's what the companies are telling the government. That's what they're telling the SEC. And so when I see, you know, a company show in its investor presentation or whatever that it's got, you know, it's got a 70% internal rate of return and blah, 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 blah. It's like, seriously, guys? I mean, that's not what you're telling. That's not what you're telling the SEC. Now, do you have that rate of return on some wells? I'm, I'm sure you do. But um, your point and the point I'm making is that, you know, of these, of these four Companies that I just posted on today—they're, um, you know, they are they very few. There's none of them that are making anywhere near what they've told the public that they're making, and uh, that's just—that's just the truth according to them. And so, is you were talking about our, our industry and you know having a bad name? Well, you know that's what it's based on. And sure, we're all selling something. Okay, I mean, you know, I get it. Uh, but we're at a point i think in our business where we really need to, to be paying a little bit better attention to the way that we come across in the you know in the public square and, and certainly a lot of the a lot of the, the the shale companies you know the whoever they are the eogs the pioneers the diamondbacks whatever you know they're they're making a a, a good try now to say look no we're you know we're responsible we're, we're not just going to piss away you know any money that we can get but you know i go back to the uh you know to what happened the other day with eft and you know that's that's the kind of behavior that uh it, it doesn't it doesn't make us look very good you know when you got a bunch of uh you know a bunch of frat boys basically ganging up on somebody that they don't like it's like see so, you know what kind of people are you anyway um i don't know these folks like you say i mean they're they're all anonymous but uh i think we just i mean the the days when we could uh you know go out and you know party on and uh be be as outrageous as we wanted to those days are over and uh whether whether we whether i think or you think that there's serious competition for oil and gas from renewables, and you know that's a whole other conversation. Maybe we can have some time. It doesn't matter because that's what the public thinks. Yeah, that's yeah. what the policymakers think, and 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 so for the for the good of uh, of our industry, I, I think we've got to you know we we've got to clean up our act a little bit and uh, you know, do what we can to come across as the mature and uh, responsible people that I think most of us are. Um, and, and you get a couple of people out there that, um, you know, that, that sound off in, in a way that's different. And, you know, Joe Public, he doesn't know the difference. And he hears some stupid thing, some outrageous, some immature thing. The he says, See these oil and gas guys, they're all the same.
1: You know, it's been a it's been an interesting that you bring that up because that's been a a common theme on, uh, my podcast as well as uh, Alan Gilmer and I kind of closed out the Evolve conference that the Digital Wildcatter guys um put on, and that's one of the things we talked about is we've you know as oil and gas guys we totally lost the narrative of. Uh, the ability to, because I mean, if you think about it, we've done more for the world than anything over the last 250 years, the burning of hydrocarbons. I mean, sure, antibiotics, vaccines, I'll, I'll give you that, that maybe those are have done more than hydrocarbons, although I, maybe I'm a bit of a homer for the industry, but I think oil and gas has done more than anything, and we've just totally lost the narrative, and so Alan and I talked about it. Uh fellow, one of the anonymous guys on Twitter, Bomber, came on. We talked about it. He's actually a younger fella who kind of called me out. He's like, hey, Chuck, my generation's committed to being responsible about this because you guys screwed it up for us. And uh <laughs> I kind of had to say, Yeah, you're right. I mean, I remember those bumper stickers that said freeze a Yankee and and uh, you know, the running joke that J.R. Ewing was not a uh a TV drama. It was actually a documentary. Um, but you know, the, the, the whole thing, I think, uh, is driven by really two factors. One, to some degree, we've always just been this lottery ticket business, like the Saudis can embargo and oil prices quadruple and we're rich. So there's always this kind of element of, we can be rich at any given moment. You know, you could, you know, way, way, way back, you could hit a big well and be rich, you know, and in the 90s, 3D seismic, you could image something that never been seen before and hit a big well. So there were always these catalysts for us to be really rich overnight, almost without us being <laughs> responsible for it, you know, kind of just like a, a lottery ticket. So I always think that's one of the problems because we, in effect, the shale revolution capped natural gas prices at 250 or 3 bucks and they capped oil prices at call it 60. I mean and so to make money there was no more lottery ticket luck that happened. You had to run a real business and we're just we've been ill equipped as an industry to do it. The other thing I think that's a big driver in sort of losing this narrative and what folks need to think through is I think Elon Musk gets celebrated as a great tech entrepreneur. Steven Jobs got celebrated. Bill Gates got celebrated. I mean, those guys take criticism, but at the end of the day, generally speaking, they're regarded, and I think, quote, unquote, the hydrocarbon barons uh, haven't been celebrated is really until, call it 10 or 15 years ago, um, if you were getting rich as an oil and gas person oil and gas was so important to the economy that generally the rest of the economy was in a recession. So you had, you know, folks being rich uh, out there and doing really well while the rest of the world was suffering. And I don't think we were sensitive to that. And I think that's part of the reason we kind of left. We lost the narrative. We lost the moral high ground to be able to talk about all the good things we've done as an industry.
0: I think you're you're right, but the I think part of it is what you said before, uh, where you started this this thread is uh, I, I I'd I'd go beyond what you said I I'd say that the the economic progress um, of the world certainly since World War II uh, and maybe a little before it is. I don't know what percent, but eighty, eighty-five, ninety percent because of oil. You know, forget about hydrocarbons in general. And 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 I think what what the public doesn't uh, and the public doesn't know very much about energy. And, and perhaps they you know they, they shouldn't need to know that. But but it's our business and we should. And and so the you know the notion that well you know maybe we don't need oil anymore. Well okay you know let's talk about that. Um, and, and 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 so if you if you think about it and and you do the conversion of how much how much work is there in a barrel of oil. mean you know, if you took all it, you burned the whole thing and you you counted all the you know the calories or the kilojoules or the megawatts or whatever that came out of it, and you did all the conversion it works out to be conservatively about four and a half years of human manual labor in a of And that's a multiplier that the human race never, ever found before and may never, ever find again. And it's, it's the fact that you, you go out and you, you buy something that costs you 50 or 60 bucks and you get four and a half years of someone's you know, sweat and tears in it, you can't beat that. You just cannot beat that. And so your point – And I'm going to cut
1: in real quick, Art, and add just one more point because I agree with you wholeheartedly is, and it only weighs 300 pounds, that barrel of oil, um, versus lithium to get the same amount of energy. To your point, the four and a half years, that lithium weighs 20,000 pounds. You know, so so your concept of energy four and a half years and the multiplying effect there, you know, you can just add to it that by the way, it's actually not even that heavy and it's convenient and it makes it very usable and accessible.
0: Right, and and, and you know, lithium or whatever else you're talking about. I mean, what do you mine lithium with? You mine it with diesel, right? And, uh, you know, so everything, everything in the whole, you know, in the whole supply chain of, of everything, of every alternative to oil involves using oil, basically. But, but the point I was trying to make there was that um, a lot of the criticism of the oil business in recent years is, well, you guys haven't made money. You know, I mean all this fracking and, you know, his high land costs and everything, um, you know, you're not, you know, the returns aren't there. And, and for sure, from, a, from an investor's standpoint, looking at the, the margins that he gets from buying stock or something, you know, there, there's, there's no question about that. But I find that <clears throat> the people, they use words like price and cost and value interchangeably as if they're the same thing and they're not and so the the, the issue that people have with the oil business is that the costs and the price don't always work out to be very much of a positive so the cost is what that, that, that's 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 how many dollars you need to spend to actually get the oil out of the ground the price of course is what somebody will pay for that but then there's the value and if you if you take if you, you know take my word for it and i can give you all the references that it's four and a half years worth of kilowatts or kilojoules or whatever in a barrel of oil and the median u.s income is thirty thousand dollars a year and you do the multiplication of you know thirty times uh four point five times thirty barrel of oil, the value of it is $135,000. And you cannot – there is no – there is nothing. It's up, lithium doesn't even come close, okay? Hydrogen, solar, nothing, nothing ever comes close to that. So for every barrel of oil, whether the company made money or lost money or whatever on it, that was one hundred and thirty-five dollars the value to the U.S. economy that nobody can take away and we're not very good (laughs) at making people aware of I I don't want to make people feel like you know you're dependent on oil although you are but look at look at what it look at the value that it adds to the economy to world progress and and I, I I'm a one of the many reasons I'm Probably not popular with some in the oil business is that I do care a lot about the climate, about it, about the environment, and and I, I I do believe that you know that burning burning oil and gas and uh, coal and all of that is 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 not a plus for for the environment. But but I ask the people on the you know if there is another side. So, well, you know, we just want to get rid of oil. We just want to go to renewable energy and live on wind and solar. And, you, you know, you can forget all about the, the intermittency and, you know, like what happened to us a month or so ago with you know, when <laughs> we didn't have any power in Texas. But, you know, forget about all that. Say all that is – that can be resolved. Uh, the point is, is that a world that didn't have the multiplier effect of 4.5 years per barrel there's almost no chance of economic growth in an electric world. Now, that may be a, a wonderful thing that, you know, we should all, once we make the adjustment and we get used to living on less, I mean, it, you know, it, it undoubtedly will be better for the planet. But this this energy transition that people glibly talk about, it's gonna be damn traumatic
1: man. <laughs> yeah well no. and and you know I, I do a clubhouse room uh, every Wednesday night with uh, Jeff Davies and Jeff Davies is on Twitter is Energy credit one and he's he's really the quote unquote adult real thoughtful guy real good guy um and Dan Pickering was our guest on the about a month ago and and Dan said, and I th- think he's absolutely right. He said, this is not regulatory. This is not the government telling you that we're going to have energy transition. This is corporations. This is consumers. This is investors. And this is a tidal wave that's going to happen, period. And so if the oil and gas guys want to bury their head in the sand, great, go ahead. But this is happening. This is a tidal wave that uh, that's not going to be... S- stopped because all the folks I mentioned are willing to pay higher prices for less carbon. And, um, and I think, I think he's absolutely right there. I think I I wish the, and, and I understand how we get there. We've gotten to a point just in government in life where basically the extremes, uh, are the only things that are heard. And so, Extremes find it ex- extremely hard. I guess a little alliteration there. Um, find it very hard to get together and compromise and, and, and work together to get something done because at the end of the day, the second they compromise, they lose their base. But there really is there really is a deal to be done here on a bigger scale where you say, look, we want to produce as much in the way of oil as we can in the United States, because quite frankly, we do it cleaner than uh, than other folks do. I mean, China, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, they don't give a shit. They're going to pollute however they want. Here, you've got states, you've got the media, other folks looking at it. So we- we're going to produce it cleaner here. But at the end of the day, it's really about coal. And I think the deal to be done is, hey, China and India, look, I get it that we got to build our economic power on cheap oil and we polluted a lot. You know, Don't make the same mistakes we did. I know coal's cheaper. So there's probably a subsidy due to the developing world by the, uh, the advanced economies um, that we should be willing to pay to make this compromise. But man, if we don't get China to stop building coal plants, it doesn't matter what we do in the United States, because at the end of the day, I know they point to us and say we're 25% of the world's pollution, but we're at least coming down every year, building three coal plants a month or whatever the stat is on that. You look at that trajectory, that any sort of problems from climate change and the like is coming from there.
0: It doesn't really matter what we do individually as, as countries. I mean, the, the climate doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't know about political boundaries. And, and so, I mean, we can beat our chests and talk about how, I mean, you're right. I mean, we, the United States is relatively cleaner than, than some of the other countries, but, um, we are, we are a world and, um, I find in the oil and gas business that uh, there, there are an awful lot of people that just flat they they believe the climate change is a hoax. It's absolutely untrue and it's just nonsense. And I get in trouble with those people. Um, and I, I don't claim to have all the answers, but uh, you know I, I can I can look at, at the science and say look at the very least. Um, you know, uh, wouldn't you want to take an insurance policy out? <laughs> you know, I mean, if it were my personal, you know, it was in my personal life. Yeah. I would probably want to, you know, spend 50 or a hundred bucks a month on an insurance policy just in case it was true. Uh, but, you know, people are just, yeah, no, that's, that's just all, you know, that, 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 none of that's true. That's just all a bunch of academics looking for funding. And yeah, sure. There's, you know, there's, there's plenty of that in the world, but, at some point, I think you have to say, look, you know, there's enough information here that we should take this seriously. That, that's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, pound the table and say the world is ending in 25 years now. But, but, I mean, yeah, there, there is something happening here, and we need to pay attention. And whether we agree or not, as Dan said, this is where we're going, like it or not. You know, you <laughs> – You you can either get on board, or you can, or or you can. The train's going to leave the station without you. You can take your pick. But the flip side of that, Chuck, is that a lot of the folks that are really enthusiastic about low carbon, um, and you know, and I am, they don't know what they're signing up for. They don't understand that the world is going to be profoundly different. That they're not going to be able to continue living way that we are living today in uh, you know a net a lower net carbon or a net zero carbon world it's going to be a poorer world a lot poorer. That doesn't mean that you know we're all going to starve to death. it's just isn't going to be anything like what we got right now and honestly I can't I can't think of a way that we can support seven and a half billion people without oil and gas. So a lot of people somehow or other aren't gonna be here in that future world that you know the people dream about. And you gotta think about how's that gonna work. I mean, you know, the world population at the end of World War Two was, you know, was was something like two billion World War One, I'm sorry, it was about, you know, two billion or so. And there was a reason for that. And that was that the world couldn't feed more than two or three billion people. And it was basically the commercialization of fertilizer that allowed the world to be able to feed the number of people we have right now. Well, all that happens because of of, of very uh, energy-intensive processes that liquefy air and produce nitrogen, free nitrogen, not to mention all of the the mechanized farming. So we don't want to talk about the fact that somehow or other a few billion people either need to stop being made or need to die for this vision of the world to, to come true. That, that's an ugly little fact that we don't want to look at. We need to look at that. We need to look at the fact that that economic growth, if there is any, in the electric world is going to be really, really meager, and it may be zero. It might be negative. So how many of the people that are enthusiastic about this thing would still be enthusiastic if they understood and believed that. A lot fewer. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say don't do it. I'm saying know what you're signing up for. Have your eyes open. You don't like to hear that, maybe. Well, and back uh, to where we where uh, we started, I think a lot of the reason that that some people resent what I say and what I write is that they don't want to believe it. You know, they didn't want to believe that you know, that the Barnett wasn't the greatest thing in the world. Well, you know, who's drilling wells in the Barnett today? I mean, the rig count was zero for a long time. And, you know, there might be one or two wells out there. Um, you know, I got crucified 10 years ago for saying, I don't think people are going to be drilling in the well- in the Barnett very much longer because there's no money left in it. What about the Fayetteville? I mean, you know, I do a weekly rig count. And I, I've been carrying the Fayetteville as zero rigs for I don't know how long, a couple of years. And I keep thinking, well, maybe I ought to just take it off. Um, You know, the notion that these, you know, we're going to have decades of, and somehow these shale plays are, you know, they're, 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 they're magic. They don't follow the rules of of earth physics, like conventional oil and gas. It's just not true. And so people, I think are, you know, we, we, we love our beliefs. We want to believe that everything's going to work out in the end, that, Somebody's going to find a you know a silver bullet, and we're not going to have to worry about the environment anymore. And gee, I sure hope they're right. But, but as a but as a realist, uh, I'm going to assume they're wrong until somebody shows me what, what works. And and again, you know, at least buy an insurance policy. So I think there's. I'm not trying to you know to paint a uh, a, a doomy gloomy world out there. I just think we got some real. Some real issues as an energy industry that we need to 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 be honest with each other about, and yeah. and there are many, and 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 we should, and I don't have any expectation that we necessarily will, but back to you know where we where we get to with some people who don't like what some of us say, they, you know they they don't want to hear, it. they just I mean, don't want to hear. It.
1: I'll I'll booger up the the statistics on this, but this. Spirit of what I'm saying is right. I think to hit the Paris Accord numbers that we need to hit as a world by I'll make this up 2030 or maybe it's twenty thirty five, we basically have to live life with less oil usage than we lived like in the middle of quarantine. You know? Because uh you know, last year we went into quarantine. Whatever you know, call it middle of March, and and we spent there for you know a couple of months on lockdown. Everything you know, planes weren't really flying, folks weren't driving around. Everybody was in the house. And if you look at the amount of oil used a day during that period, who knows exactly what the right number is? We've got better data on it now than certainly when we were in the middle of it, but. Worldwide, what were you using? Maybe 75 million, 80 million barrels a day. Those are the Paris numbers. So, I mean, that's to your point. Hey, guys, you want to hit these Paris numbers, and I'm not saying that's a bad goal, but just recognize to hit that goal, nobody's flying around on vacation, nobody's driving their cars around, um, etc. And uh, because those are the numbers. I mean, the whole worldwide... I mean, the whole world went into quarantine because of this pandemic, and that was the only reason we could hit consumption numbers um, based on where we need to be, and call it ten years.
0: What happened to the world economy?
1: Yeah, no, you're 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 right about that because
0: we I mean, we, can, we we can make adjustments. I mean, you know, we we have made adjustments because humans are 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 ingenious and, and adaptable, but. But you can't you can't get away from the fact that that a a world that has less environmental problems and you know I, there there're going to be some people listening to this and just you know they just turn off when when you talk about climate change so you know let, let's just talk i mean does does anybody dispute that that there's an awful lot of uh of pollution, water pollution and air pollution. And I mean, that's, that's been a a fact for, you know, for most of, most of my adult life. Um, Does anybody dispute that the, that the the rate of species extinction that's going on today is, is, is extreme. And, and, and most of us don't have a big problem acknowledging, you know, I, I think all the plastic in the ocean, I, I think that's coming from us. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I think when when Houston flooded a couple of years ago and all the water that was out in the street was full of all kinds of damn chemicals and the people who got flooded had to throw a lot of stuff out because it was, po- it was poisoned, um, I, you know, I don't think that's coming from any other species than us. So why is it so unthinkable that some substantial part of climate change might be coming from us (laughs) yeah and
1: and i actually i actually think you know pretty i i think there's a little bit of work to do on the science front just kind of studying the actual historical data you know cuz basically the whole point of climate change or the the punchline is we're up about a degree and a half over the last 125 years and the data the data is is somewhat shaky in that you know about half the data we have has been adjusted from a raw reading you know they walked outside and it was 67 degrees and because it, they took it at three in the afternoon and they used to take it at 10 in the morning they added you know they subtract a degree or two or they add a degree whatever they adjustments they make you know at one point we were we were taking uh, temperatures on ships and sometimes the ships are 300 miles out to sea sometimes the ships are 50 miles inland and so it, you know at one point i think for a 25year period uh all of southern asia was literally just one spot and anyway so there there are some issues with the data that i think we need to be critical Mm -hmm. of but to to your point is yeah i mean there's no question that i mean cleveland's river caught on fire back in the (laughs) day you know (laughs) so yeah yeah so there there's no doubt we've we've done we've done some stuff there to make it better and we should we should definitely continue um looking looking at that the thing the thing i worry about and and i think what's ultimately kind of the guts is what is the the prescription you know what is the path to this going forward and it's it's somewhere in the middle middle road uh between each of the extremes and the thing i really worry about to kind of come back to this point that we were talking about earlier and i know you're a a Joseph Campbell guy, my uh, favorite professor at Rice, talked about myth, power, value, and myth making in political science and the like. His theory was basically you use myth to turn values into power. And his example was, you know, George Washington cutting down the cherry tree. Yes, father, I cannot tell a lie. Well, that was a totally made-up story, right? I mean, Everybody some politi- remembers it. Yeah, some political consultant made up that story for George Washington back in the day. It wasn't true, but but you know, the if you're being cynical myth is a negative, it's lying, but if you're being if you're being positive about it, it's it's owning the narrative, being able to tell the story. And the thing that just worries me is we the oil and gas business have done a lot of good. We should be the ones that are able to say, "Hey, we've done a lot of good for you. We now recognize that we're potentially doing some bad here. Here's our prescription of how to get out of this. We're going to lead you there." And I don't I don't see us being able to do that. I mean, BP's trying to trying to do it. I think Exxon shrugged their shoulders and said, "We're an oil and gas company." But, you know, it's going to be somebody from the outside, you know, Tesla coming in and and disrupting the car business etc that's going to lead the charge on this and i just think if it's not us as energy people leading that charge it could be really bad to your point it economic recession etc if it's not done in a thoughtful way and so that's that's the thing that kind of keeps me up up at night when we're talking about energy transition and the like is i know we got a lot of work to do but are we actually even going to have a seat at the table when it's being decided on, on how it goes down. Because, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, whoever's sitting in the White House with who's ever the head of China and whoever the head of India is, they're going to get together and they're going to come up with whatever this plan is. And, boy, I just worry that we as the United States potentially get fleeced. China and India don't. And boom... We have economic recession, and we haven't done anything to save the planet.
0: There's a lot going on, Chuck. I mean, there's there is, and, and I, I you know, back to sort of where we started with this. I I think we have to be we have to have an open mind, and yeah, Twitter's a you know kind of a, a blood sport. <laughs> yeah, and and all of that, but um, when we you know, when, when we when we use it as a way to make ourselves feel better about positions that we have versus, you know, the oddball that says, well, you guys, you know, have you thought about this? Uh, well, let's make fun of that person. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm that person, but I've just seen this so often, you know, that somebody comes up with, with something that he or she thinks we really ought to look at. And we just bury them. Ah, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. know, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. and, and and we're not going to change human nature. Uh, I wouldn't even try. But as a, you know, as, as an industry, um, I, I, I I would sure like to see us um, try to be a little bit more open-minded um, than some of what I see out there and say, hmm, I I, you know, I, I don't think I agree with you, but um, uh, let me think about what you said.
1: Yeah, part of it, part of it, too, is, and I'm going to, I'm going to sound like, you know, the old man sitting in my front yawn, lawn yelling, you know, kid, get off my lawn. But part of it is a, is a culture change, too, because I notice it in my kids that, you know, you kind of, you know, you're sarcastic, you're snarky and, and the like. And that's to some degree how they talk to each other. And I think a lot of that's just driven by, it's a lot easier to say something snarky if you're texting it on a phone. I mean, I take my, so my kids are 18, 15 and 13. And, you know, I take a group of my kids, friends out to eat dinner and none of them talk. They all just sit there and text each other, even though we're all sitting at the table. You know, it's the, uh, it's the weirdest, weirdest thing. So, uh, part of it is I'm technically not a boomer because I was born in 68. So I think boomer, you know, runs to, to 65, so I'm generation X. But, uh, I do think to your point, the, uh, texting and, and posting and, and kind of the like make, make it easier to, uh. To, to potentially be confrontational as opposed to to courteous because it's really hard when you're sitting down at dinner across from someone, it's hard to be nasty. You got to be a special kind of asshole to be able to do that.
0: And, I, and I, I, I'll i admit, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm guilty of it. I mean, I, you know, somebody says something that pisses me off and I'll say something back that pisses them off and I shouldn't do that Um but I do because I'm human, and um, but like I said, um, you know, at least in this incident that we started off with 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 e f t um, you know i I said, look guys, um uh, I was wrong. Um, I shouldn't have criticized you that way. I've examined my behavior, and uh, you know let's move on and um, I'd like to see. You know,
1: it wasn't easy
0: for me to do. Okay. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I am human. Um, <laughs> I can't, but, I can't
1: yeah. tell you, I can't tell you how many tweets I type and then I'm like, take a deep breath. No, don't hit send. <laughs> don't hit send. And, and when I, when I reach my third glass of wine, I am really good. I've become, I've gotten a lot better at like just putting my phone away because <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, this won't, this won't end well if I hit send, but, uh, Anyway, Art, you were really cool to come on and talk. I don't, I don't think we've ever met. Yeah, um, no, yeah. I mean, know you by reputation, and obviously have followed you for for uh, for a long time on Twitter. So it was nice. It was uh, it was fun to Very visit. Nice
0: to I've enjoyed our conversation, and let's do it again sometime.
1: That sounds awesome. We'll have a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon, and we'll hope for a better week on Twitter.
0: <laughs> uh, can't be worse. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All sure the